Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at BoldIdeaPodcast.com. Episode 106 of the Reinventure Me Podcast. The decisions you're about to make for your future are flawed. But relax, we're about to tell you why and what you can do about it in this episode of Reinventure Me. Find your next great beginning. Welcome to the Reinventure Me Podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hey there. Welcome to episode 106 of the Reinventory Podcast. I'm your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. Armin. How are you doing, Larry? I am well. Yeah. <laughs> Better than you, I think. <laughs> you have had uh, quite a week. I am, yes, yes. I'm in zombie mode. <laughs> you are in zombie mode. <laughs> Do you want to tell the audience why you're in zombie mode? Yeah, so there was a college kid who turned 20 years old two days prior. So this was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, yesterday. Just yesterday. So three days ago, this kid <laughs> turns 20. His mom and dad bought him a brand new Jaguar. Ooh. And then yesterday, he decides to run a red light going probably twice the speed limit and T-boned me into oblivion. <laughs> and now I feel like an old, decrepit 90-year-old man with osteoarthritis. No. I can't sleep, can't. Too much. I keep shifting in my seat, trying to get comfortable. <laughs> so I'm in zombie today. Welcome to the geriatric set. <laughs> I'm so nervous about what might come out of my mouth. <laughs> well, you're looking good, and I know that there was one episode when we were recording here in the studio where Armin actually like fell asleep on the microphone. It was so people? bad. I <laughs> oh, don't tell people that. But that was just after you had a new baby, so it's understandable. But we might have to prod our Armin here this. this today for this show. But listen, this is the podcast for what's next in life. And I think it goes without saying, Herbine, we're all praying for your, your quick recovery and all your bumps Thanks, and man. bruises here. But in this episode, we want to help you explore new ways to reinvent your life, your podcasting opportunities and ventures you were made to pursue. We are going to talk about some of the faulty decisions that we can make, really the blind spots right. uh, that can derail us. And you're going to find the episode notes at reinventure.me slash 106. But let's kick it off, Armin. If you got it in you, let's give some inspiration here. <laughs> Fake it till you make it, Armin. Uh, is that right? Exactly. All right. So this is by our favorite author of quotes of all time. His name has been coined Anani. By Anani. Larry, by Larry Gates. <laughs> so, so this is by an unknown author. So he said, or she said, good decisions come from experience and experience comes from bad decisions. Yes, exactly. Right? And, <laughs> and somebody might know who to attribute that to. We can either put Einstein or Mark Twain or, <laughs> or Anani. Sure. <laughs> or Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You'll yeah. get thrown in there. So or so. Confucius or how far back you want to take it, right? But I think all of us can relate to that quote because we've had bad experiences that have come from bad decisions and of course, that gives us learning to create good decisions. So guess what we're going to talk about today, Armin? 
impossibility of making decisions. Uh, decisions. We're going to talk about some decisions. <laughs> We're specifically going to talk about some of the blind spots. And in fact, if you don't think you have a blind spot, then in fact you are demonstrating that you, you do have, have one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you for proving our point. The, the irony. <laughs> the irony of it, right? But we're going to really talk about biases. Uh, this is a fascinating area for me because there's literally hundreds of biases that we have. And is there hundreds? Hundreds. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Literally, we're we're only going to be <laughs> scratching the surface because we're going to do ninety seven of them in this episode. <laughs> oh <my laughs> no, no, we're we're going to talk about five five critical biases that we might run into that can affect how we view the future and how we take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us. But we got to talk about what biases are first. Well, first of all, I want to know when you're picking these because we had the the list of twenty yeah. that are like the main common ones. Yeah. What what drew you to these five? Maybe because they're ones that I've personally tripped over myself, and I think there's at least... <laughs> I see where you're going with this. You're exposing a bias, right? I think I have a bias about how I viewed which ones are most common. So let's see if you can uncover what it is. But that's very well played here. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, let's see. we got to talk about what biases are. And I love what Gregory Burns, a neuropsychologist, said. He says that our brain is a lazy piece of meat yep. and uh, it doesn't want to do any more work than it has to. And right. in order to figure out the world, it takes a lot of shortcuts. Right. And so really it's how we can survive all of the information that's coming at us, sensory information, cognitive information, all kinds of things that come at us. And we form what's called what the scientists call a heuristic, which is a, really another way of saying a bias, but it's a routine Think about it in computer language. It's a routine that we run in our brain. If this, then that. And we make some assumptions about it. So, sure. for instance, you are not aware of this, but you subconsciously, and I have a routine that runs in our brain, that if we look at something and it's fuzzy, our brain detects or believes that it's far away. Hmm. Because we can't see things far away as clearly, typically, as we can things that are close. So if right. it's fuzzy in appearance, it it will have the perception of being further away. And of course, we've huh. all, you and I have both had seen optical illusions, right? Where Absolutely. things appear bigger than they really are. You get your measuring stick out and you go, oh, wow, a, a ruler makes this. <laughs> they're exactly the same size, right. but visually they look different. Yep. And it's because our brain is taking these shortcuts. And there's really no way to rid yourself of it because it is how your brain is working. And we're wired to take shortcuts because right. we're wired to you know, do that. So the, the key point here is there's really no way to avoid it. But you can be aware of when it happens so that you can decide how you want to base a decision around it. And so that's what we're going to talk like about. like training your brain like you would train a dog. <laughs> yeah, well, or it's, or it's learning when you can trust your brain and when you should validate it. Oh, okay, good point. Good yeah, point. And, I like that. You know, we've talked a lot in the past episodes, Armin, about thinking fast and thinking slow mm -hmm. and that you want to think about things in accordance to the importance of the decision. If it's a matter of whether you should tie your shoes so you don't trip over your laces, that could be a pretty fast decision. You don't need to spend a lot of time deliberating that, <laughs> sure, right? right? But if you're going to decide whether you're going to quit your job and start a new business, that should be a little bit of a slower decision that you yeah. make. And the challenge that we come to is when we make these important decisions that should be done slowly, do we even make them with the right kind of lens that we see it? Because our lenses are always defective in some way. Hmm. And these with these biases. Right. And why this is all important is because 
our future, the ventures and the things that we're going to decide about for ourselves, whether you go get a new job or whether you go start something new or you invest time in this or you decide this is how I want to spend my effort or I might want to move somewhere or whatever that decision is that you might be thinking about, you need to think about how you're influencing yourself in making that decision. Right on. So for me, the process that we went through to try to select them, I only had two that were the same as you and uh-huh. three of them were very different. And I looked at it at a very surface level at first. And then I started processing right. these blind spots. Yeah. And I, and I started processing why I leaned towards these ones versus another one. Uh-huh. I think that a lot of the reasons why I lean one way or another has a lot to do with anything that's happened in the past. Correct. And it's typically like trauma based, wound, hurt, something like Correct. I Yep. Yep. And you're already identifying one of the biases that we're going to talk about, which is the recency bias or the availability bias, because you can remember it. Right. So one of those two, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And, you know, to be honest, I I know I apply to bias and even selecting it. (laughs) And so it's interesting that you'd ask that question. That was kind of a funny setup. I was curious what that bias was. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. And what Armin and I are referring to is we're referring to a list of 20 biases that we saw in a, in a business review infographic. And we're going to make that available in the show notes. So you can go right to it yourself. And it's pretty cool infographic. And it basically takes 20 cognitive biases and it lays out what they are. It doesn't give you a lot of background to it, only to draw your attention to the kind of biases and you can figure out what that is as we go. So all in all of this, we need to learn when to trust our thinking and know that our brain can actually trick us. And we need to recognize this in ourselves, but also we need to recognize it in those who might advise us, because that is going to play a role in how we even form our opinions. So let's talk about some of these biases. Okay. So the first one that you picked, I agreed with this one. Yeah. And this was the confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. All right. So go ahead. I want to tag along with you on this. Oh, why I picked this as one of mine as well. Yeah, please do. So confirmation bias just simply is the tendency to listen to information that confirms our preconceptions. So you have some preconceptions of things and you're looking for data to reinforce it. Mm -hmm. And I think we've talked about this in one of our episodes about toxic people, or I know we talked about it in one of the relationship episodes where we're looking for confirming evidence Mm -hmm. to support the way we view them. So if we see somebody or think of somebody as lazy, then we only look for ways in which they might demonstrate to us that they're lazy. We never see their industry. We only see their times when they relax and we draw the conclusion. See, that proves that they're, they're lazy. And the challenge, of course, we have with confirmation bias is that people in our own circle that we hang around with a lot tend to share the same preconceptions. (laughs) So they in fact help reinforce that bias within us because we all then in some ways, it's not like gossiping, but it's like fact reporting Mm -hmm. the same bias. And it only, what that does is it just keeps layering on that preconception. Yep. And the funny thing is, is that that's why it's my go-to when it comes to business. I only talk to business people because I assume that no one else would be able to speak anything to me about business that's relevant because you don't do business. Yes. And ter- terrible, terrible decision-making process. Yeah. 
because that's the type of bias that allows me to dismiss my wife. Right. Right. Exactly. Don't do that. Yep. Terrible. You will pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and like, I don't know whether it's spiritual mentors or you you dismiss very, very important people in your life. Or yeah. at least you, I do. you might have a business decision, like you said. So you go to business people, what, yeah. what you, you miss other perspectives. But you can drill that down to a specific decision. You might think, well, this person has dealt with raising funds or dealing with investors or mm-hmm. whatever. Maybe you're in an entrepreneurial situation. You're looking at dealing with investors. It doesn't matter what it is. So you're going you're gonna to maybe find other people who've gone through the same challenge you have. So they have dealt with the same thing. And right. maybe they're a little further ahead. Okay, So right. maybe they don't know how to make payroll or whatever the situation might be. Maybe it's a personal situation, right? Right. So they're facing a medical diagnosis. And so you ask somebody about the diagnosis they had and the path that they chose, right? right? And you're getting their advice, which seems sensible, right? Right. Except that the person you're getting advice from is going to give you information that reinforces the decision that they made, which isn't necessarily the decision you need to make. Right. And so when you selectively ask input from people who are facing the same situation, it's reinforcing that preconception and reinforcing, in fact, the confirmation bias. You're just looking for the same thing. Right. And it's always a bad process when you're assuming you're right. And all you're looking for is the person to confirm that you you have come to the right conclusion. If you're really trying to figure out right or wrong, good or bad, go look at and talk to people with different perspectives exactly. and see if it still lines up to be the right direction or right decision. Yep. Exactly. So how do we overcome this confirmation bias? Well, first, one thing you can do is you can write down your assumptions. So what am I assuming about this decision? And sometimes that's just such a valid exercise because we don't even know what it is that we're assuming about the decision. We don't know what we think is actually true. Yeah. And then what you should do is ask yourself, what if the opposite of what I think is true was true? Okay. And then how... Can I see any evidence of that? Can I tell whether the opposite of what I think is true is true? So in other words, instead of saying, oh, that person's really lazy, well, let me suppose for a second that that person is really industrious. Now, could I look for examples of where that person is industrious? And so you might even think about it in one very practical way is when you look at someone and you know, boy, I have a certain opinion about them and I know it's so strong. It's like that Abraham Lincoln quote I know we use as a quote in our Inspire Me. That man really troubles me. I must get to know him better or something along those lines, right? right. But Abraham Lincoln is basically saying, I have an opinion about that person. Mm -hmm. I got to get to know him better. And he's basically saying, this is how I overcome confirmation bias. So look at the opposite, assume the opposite true, and see if you can find any evidence. And one place I read, I love this question, they suggested assessing your motivation and trying to determine if we're trying to gather information to make a smart decision or to confirm what you want to do anyway. Mm. And I remember a time when I was at Cray, we had the Boston Consulting Group come in to look at doing some organizational assessments and to make some recommendations, right? Sure. And then the first meeting I had with the Boston Consulting Group consultant, right? Yeah. She was asking me all these questions that I could tell were from a confirmation bias because I I basically at some point said, look, tell me what it is you're trying to confirm, and I will tell you whether I believe it's confirmed. Well, I'm not trying to confirm anything. I'm just asking questions was her response. (laughs) Except every question I'm asking is a leading question. Every question was a leading question. (laughs) 
pointing to a specific, right. looking for data to confirm a hypothesis. Sure. And when I call her out on it and to say, well, tell me what your hypothesis is and we could just talk about it directly. Right. She hid behind that, you know, <laughs> so it's kind of like, that's, you know, that's not going to work. So the key is try to find as many sides as possible. And you might even need to get somebody to come in and play devil's advocate. I mean, people love to play that game. I think, you know, to right. be, let's play devil's advocate. Let me be right. the devil's advocate here. So, it's good to help rid yourself of confirmation bias by looking at all those situations. Right. I have to ask this because we always suggest writing things down. Yeah. There's a lot of people that, that just won't ever write anything down, no matter how many times they get suggested the idea of writing something down. Is there anything else we can suggest other than writing it down for them? Record it on your phone or is there any other? Well, however you get the assumptions out. I mean, you have to look at what that assumption is in order to challenge it. Right. So some things are pretty straightforward. You don't need to write it down. Like, for instance, if I think somebody is cheap or lazy or something like that, mm -hmm. I can say, well, what's the opposite of that? Lazy would be industrious. Cheap would be generous. So I'm going to start looking for all the times that they show generosity. I'm going to look for all the times. So some questions are not that complex that you need to write them down. But the ones that involve our future and things that are big, the ones that we want to think slowly about, yeah. you probably do need to write it down. I mean, in order to really think it through, mm. I don't see any other way you can process it. But I would open this up for our listeners to say, oh, no, you don't need to write it down. Here's another suggestion. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear it, too. Love to hear it. Yeah, yeah love absolutely. to hear it. The other one that you put down is the recency bias, which I agreed with after I saw it, but I didn't select it. You didn't. Yeah, was it one of your your, your first ones? Well, yeah. the recency, which is interesting given what the recency bias is, it's the tendency to weigh the latest information more heavily than the older data. So that means that we're going to give preferential treatment to the last bit of information we have. And mm -hmm. you could call it the shoot from the hip bias because basically sure. I'm responding to you know whatever is happening at the moment. Yeah. Or you could call it the squeaky wheel gets the grease bias, <laughs> which is you know that thing keeps coming back and it's right. it's it's here. So let's deal with it while it's in front of us <laughs> there's a great ad i mean that, that we talked about i showed you yeah. which is the adobe marketplace rocket launch ad right. and there the launch director is in the middle of a countdown and one of the mission control people says hey the data suggests that the logo should be bigger on the rocket ship so they stop the launch they make a bigger <laughs> logo they start the launch again hey it's missing a, a hashtag they think it has to have a hashtag <laughs> so they change that they don't like the color they change that and then finally the last one is mars, mars, is, isn't, mars trending isn't trending anymore, anymore. it's pluto <laughs> So now they're sending the rocket ship to Pluto. We're gonna put that. We're gonna put that ad in the show notes. But it's a terrific example of recency bias. You know, we're basically making the decision based on the recency of information that's out there, and it, right. it affects the way we we do what we have. Now, how do you overcome that in a business world? For instance, you might see it not, not in an ad, but you might see it when you assume that your offering that you might make to the market will remain as it is. Or maybe if you're considering a career, maybe you're thinking about going into programming because it's such a hot field right now, you might consider it to be as it always will be, that it'll always be that way. Now, the fact of the matter is it might, but <laughs> just because something is hot right now doesn't mean it's going to stay hot. Right. And that's the recency bias that you need to look at. So how do you overcome that? The old advice just to sleep on it right. is a big help. Because yeah. it helps you start to see, do you change your opinion about something over time? Yeah. And as you get more and more information and you get, are you always clinging to the most recent? Ask yourself when you get new information, is there some reason that should invalidate the old assumptions that you had? Mm -hmm. What is the reason for that? Right. And this is just one of those questions you have to keep 
kind of checking yourself with to see if you have that recency bias. I, I know that with the recency bias, one of the biggest issues is in my world where you're dealing with software, how often that that's, I mean, it's one of the most predominant biases I ever see in my, in my industry, because it's just, that's all you do. You just, you see trending data, you, you make a decision based on that, right? You pivot based on that. You develop something new based on that. You update software based on that. But it's crazy how often that hurts us because there's so many things that are just fads. Yes. That, that are here one second, gone the next second, but you developed it and it's worthless. Yeah. And there's good reason from a business perspective to be first in the market. The challenge is that just because something is recent doesn't mean it's a wave that's going to last that right. you can ride long enough. Right. And that is the challenge, and especially in a fast-changing marketplace like the technology industry where the recency bias really does come into play quite a bit, I agree. Yeah, and it's painful. It, it, you feel stupid, but you keep doing it. It's weird because you're always trying to be the pioneer, right? You yes. want to be one step ahead, but you keep putting yourself two steps behind every time you make a mistake like that. Yep. But anyway, so, okay, so the next one, this one I definitely did agree with. So I, I, this is the other one that I, I agreed with you on was the anchoring bias. Anchoring bias, right. So yeah, I want to hear your side. Well, again. that's it's related to recency. Now, recency is that you're taking action based on the most recent information. The anchoring bias means that you tend to anchor yourself or your ideas or your bias to the first piece of data you got rather than the most recent. <laughs> right. Right. So you and I had this experience <laughs> just, just the other day, right? <laughs> so you want to set this up? All right. So I, I'm about to launch this blog and I'm not even a blogger, but I kind of want to go on this journey to make my way towards my book. Right. So I'm like, All right, I, I need to talk to Larry because he blogs and he does it really well. It's super catchy stuff that makes you want to read it. And I don't know any of this. So, all right. So me and my co-author, we're going to go sit down with Larry. And then we sit down with Larry and he does this thing where he says, or he asks us, all right, how, how many words does your current blog have? And I, I don't remember. I think it was like 1200 or 1300 words that it currently has. And then he opens up his latest blog and then he, he kind of scrolls through it on his iPad and he goes from the top to the bottom and he says, well, how, how many words do you think are on this blog? And I looked at based on length alone, I said, oh, for sure, like 1100, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then that was kind of the whole scenario where he kind of trapped me based on my anchored bias. <laughs> yeah. So what, what I told him was uh, there's only 506 words in this particular post. So here's what happened. Armin, like any of us, decided that the answer needs to be pretty close to the previous information that he just had. So he had anchored himself. Right. Because you had said uh, 12, 1300 words, right? Yeah. So when I said, how much do you think this is? You were looking as something relative to the 12, 1300 words. Right. You knew it was probably a little bit less. So you said 1100, but right. you were far off, you know, <laughs> by twice as much, <laughs> twice as much. Right. And uh, they found this to be true, almost overall true that if, if someone presents information to you, the person who presents the information generally has an advantage there. And they found this in negotiation. So the first party to represent an offer then anchors that offer in the mind of the other party. And they're trying to figure out how to counter from that first position rather than saying, wait a minute, we shouldn't really even consider what that first offer is. We should think about what we're doing. Right. How often do you, you know, in negotiation, somebody says, well, you know, you got buy something on 
Craigslist or something. You know, yeah. somebody wants five hundred dollars for it, and you go, "Well, will you take four fifty? <laughs> As opposed to saying, "Well, wait a minute, it only compares out at two hundred someplace else." <laughs> you know, so you don't ever come back to say, "I'll give you two hundred. Right. You know, so that's the anchoring bias in effect. In the business world, because you do a lot of consulting, where do you see that come out the most? Oh, it can be all over the place. So, for instance, somebody might come in and give a presentation on how well a product is doing or what a customer has to say. So perhaps a customer is very vocal and you don't hear about any of the rest of the customers. Well, that's actually availability, but it also could be anchoring bias because if they're the first one in, right, and they say, hey, this is a big problem then you're always going to believe that you've got a big problem there or they're going to set the size of the problem. Hmm. So it's one of those things where you are vulnerable to the first piece of information that you get and because you're looking now for support for that first piece of information as well. Yeah, and that's funny because that's basically what my partners and I do. We identify a problem, dive deep as if no other problems exist, and we consider that the biggest deal when it could be completely irrelevant to what we're trying to accomplish. And it, so when I read that, I was just paying a little bit because we just did that two weeks ago. Do you know how you know how anchoring happens quite a bit? And I and you and I've talked about this because I see it a lot in the millennial. Group. Yeah, oh, totally. Anchoring happens when instead of thinking through what you might say about something or do about something, you Google it first. Yes. You've just anchored yourself to the information that you have. Now you're making modifications yeah. off of what somebody has supplied you. Yeah. Through Google rather than you're coming up with it on your own. Yeah. So And so, you know, just a Google search before you've thought about it yourself can have an anchoring effect on how you move through the problem. So let me, uh, funny story to validate that the meeting I'm talking about two weeks ago, it was basically sparked by a LinkedIn blog. We read it. I agreed with it. We shared it. And then it sparked into a whole meeting. And- <laughs> It was all wrapped around. It was pointless. It's completely pointless. <laughs> but it sparked because of some guy's blog. <laughs> so yeah, I completely validate what you're saying. Well, to overcome the anchoring bias, then you have to start looking at the problem from different perspectives and assume that the position, just for the sake of argument, if nothing else, or for the sake of analysis, assume that the position you're holding is false. So challenge the assumption. And don't necessarily hold fast to the first line of thought you had about it, because that's what anchoring is. Anchoring right. is saying, I've received the first information, I'm going to hold fast to it. It's, it's really the opposite of having an open mind about it. So when you're seeking advice as well, here's a key. When you're seeking advice from someone, say as little as possible about how you view it. Mm. Because otherwise, what you do is you anchor them. Right. And then what you get is an echo chamber because they're just going to repeat back to you right. what you've already thought. And that's really hard, especially if you're passionate about how you feel about something, is to just try not to bias their opinion uh, by presenting your own. And that's, of course, a, a difficult thing to do. Which is funny because then you're basically creating a confirmation bias, it, which you, is the first yes, one we and, brought up. And, <laughs> and a lot of these all play together, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. So availability bias. I think this is even more true for my generation than the anchoring one is. Oh, that could be. I don't know. Because we consider ourselves to be the most informed generation. But more often than not, our information is basically bogus, but we've just accepted it as fact. It's a lot about how well-networked information is now. That the same piece of information can create 
all kinds of variants. And then you think, well, because there are so many variants out there that it must be true. So here's what the availability bias is. It's the tendency to overestimate the importance of information simply because it's readily available. Right. And certainly with social media and all the shares and all the rest, you know, you start seeing stuff so frequently that it must be true. Mm -hmm. And we think about air travel perhaps is unsafe when we start seeing planes falling out of the sky all over and the (laughs) fact of the matter is you know statistically speaking the evidence isn't there to support it or a rash of news reports about terrorist attacks right researchers have shown that you're going to assign a higher probability to traffic accidents if you passed one on the way to work and clearly because you just had one (laughs) right oh no your answer to that question about the probability of traffic accidents is probably higher post-accident right. than it was just a day before, right. you know, in terms of your likelihood to get in an accident, right? If you have a close friend who died of cancer, oh, you're yeah. going to rate the probability of getting cancer as higher. And here's a fascinating study the researchers have done. They took participants and they read them lists of names, a randomly ordered names, but on the list were an equal number of men's names and an equal number of women's names. Hmm. But what they did was they made the men's names or many of the men's names recognizable. So they are like Benjamin Franklin. Oh, okay. okay so names that they would recognize. Okay, right? so not just common, but actual no, people. Actual are, people. Okay, okay. So what ends up happening is they then ask them at the end, what was the percentage of men to women in that list that you just heard? Interesting. And if you heard the name... Benjamin Franklin, because you'd heard it before, you're likely to rate that there were more men listed than women, even though it was an equal amount. Interesting. So it's just because you remember the name. And so the availability bias is basically saying, I'm going to act on data that I easily remember, but it may be easily remembered only because you've been exposed to it by repetition. Hmm. That's great. You know, the best example I've heard of the availability bias was 9-11. So 9-11 happened. Yep. So airplanes crashing into buildings. So then everybody started thinking that traveling by air is not safe. So right. everybody, and so this is right before the holiday seasons, right? Yep. So everybody starts driving instead yep. of flying. So anyone who looks up statistics, driving is by far the most dangerous thing you can do in form of travel, right? Unless you're driving a motorcycle, then that makes it uh, uh, exponentially more dangerous. Right. Right. So instead of traveling by air, everybody starts traveling by car. Yep. And it's a logical decision, right? Just what just happened that makes it, it's wise, right? But here's the thing. After that happened, air security had never been more strict or more secure right. in the history of air travel, even right. compared to today, right? Right. And then because it's holiday season, you have way more people driving than ever before. Yep. And it usually is the busiest driving time season anyway. Right. So everybody tried to make a safe decision based on available information, but then they made the exact opposite decision of what was safe. And you had more fatalities and car accidents in that year than compared to the rest of the decade or yep. the decade before. Yep. So availability bias, right. just exactly because right. <laughs> it's available and current doesn't make it the best decision. Exactly right. Well, how do you overcome availability dice? Getting stats, the true stats is really important there when you can get it. And then question whether it's something recent or memorable that might be influencing your judgment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, your, your comment about that just a minute ago reminded me about, we were talking about movies, you know, a little while ago. Did Did you ever see The World According to Garp? Uh, with Robin Williams. Uh, I think I have it. So he's out it. looking at buying a house and an airplane crashes into it. 
And that's when he says, I'll buy the house. Because, like, what's the chance of that happening again? It's right? pretty remote. Okay. Right. So. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie now. I, I, I wish I remember that. I don't. I need to see it though now. We got to finish out here with our last one. All right. So information bias is the tendency to believe that information will make a better decision, even if it's not relevant to the action being considered. If you ever get into an entrepreneurial circle, like, like I get into, this is another pain point for us is that, and most people might find this completely useless uh, information, but there's this big trend in entrepreneurial circles called big data, right? So we have this big thing. We're always trying to pull information to make our decision, but so much of the information that we pull in is completely useless. We don't know how to factor it in to help us actually make a decision. And it's just, but we keep pulling more and more information as if this information is actually going to help us make a better decision when in reality, all it's doing is confusing us and making us take longer to make an actual decision that's necessary. Yeah. Now information bias is going to affect all of us, especially when we come to making a big decision in our life and we're fearful about the risks that might be involved. So we want to be guarded and we want to get as much information as we can to make sure we're making a prudent decision. And making a prudent decision is good, but here's where information bias comes in to play. And that is when you're gathering information that makes no difference to the outcome, Mm -hmm. you're just doing it with a subjective belief, and you may be unconscious about this, that more information is better than no information. And it kind of leads to this analysis paralysis. You won't make decisions because you're just drowning in information. Well, you start going into like these what if scenarios, you know, these unrealistic things, but you think, well, if I process it, it's more information and I'm looking at it from every angle. Right. You're just creating angles that don't even need to be there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had a client one time that asked me to do some research for them, and they were prepared to spend a lot of money on this research. Right. And I knew the decision they were trying to make about their business and where they were trying to take their service offerings. And I knew what they were asking me, but what I couldn't connect, Armin, was how the research that I was about, they were going to engage me to do, how that would have made a difference for them sure. in the decision they had to make. I mean, it didn't make any sense. And so I asked them that question. I just said, simply, let's just suppose that this research is back and it gives you either this or this kind of information. How will that affect the decision you're going to make? Right. And they stared at me blankly. I mean, I think they realized oh, wow. you know, for the first time it was like, uh, and I said to them, look, you don't need more data. You mean to make a decision. Huh. Because they had plenty of data for the decision. They were literally going to just pay a stupid amount of money oh, yeah. just for research. A they weren't stupid amount do. of money for research that they had no clear idea what they would do once they had the information. <laughs> it was just going to be there. And that is inf- that's information bias. <laughs> that's information bias. Well, we are out of time on this episode. We sure hope that maybe you took some things away from these various biases that might even be informing the way in which you're thinking about your next decision. There's no way for Armin and I to know what that might be. But maybe there's something in each of these areas. Now, we're going to leave in the show notes at reinventure.me slash 106. We're going to leave a link to this particular infographic that we were referring to that has at least the 20 cognitive biases that you can look at. You might find that to be helpful for you as you're thinking through the decisions that you have. But our challenge me for this episode is really to think about how those five blind spots that Armin and I were talking about, how they might be affecting a decision that you're contemplating. That's right. And if none of them align, just check out the infographic that we have in our show notes. But that's all the time that we have today. So check us out, reinventure.me backslash iTunes, or leave a question or comment on our show notes at reinventure.me backslash 106 for this episode, or 
our favorite, call us at 612-314-5447 and make sure to subscribe to our email at reinvention.me. That's it for now. This is Armin Asadi and Larry Gates bidding you adieu. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. 